We discovered that there were secrets that your body was trying to tell you that could really help you optimize performance, but no one could monitor those things. And that's when we set out to build the technology that we thought could really change the world. Welcome to the WHOOP podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of WHOOP, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. At WHOOP, our clients range from the best professional athletes in the world, to Navy SEALs, to fitness enthusiasts, to Fortune 500 CEOs and executives. The common thread among WHOOP members is a passion to improve. What does it take to optimize performance for athletes, for humans, really anyone? On this podcast, we dig deeper, we interview experts, we interview industry leaders across sports, data, technology, physiology, athletic achievement, you name it. How can you use data to improve your body? What should you change about your life? My hope is that you'll leave these conversations with some new ideas and a greater passion for performance. With that in mind, I welcome you to the WHOOP podcast. Hello again, Kristen Holmes here, VP of Performance Science, and with me today, Director of Data Science and Research, Emily Capitolupo. Hey, Kristen. I really hope you guys are not getting sick of us out there, whoop listeners. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, you're stuck with us for today. We are going to continue the January theme of resolutions by taking a deep dive into naps. So we all know sleep experts out there would agree with the statement that consolidated sleep is ideal, but there are so many occasions in our life when getting all the sleep we need might not be possible, or we simply need a little energy boost. Right, Emily? Exactly. Enter the greatest recovery amplifier, naps. Okay, we're going to start off by laying some groundwork on how naps can help support both physical and cognitive recovery. Research shows a short nap following a short night's sleep improves sprint times. Emily, what's your take on how Highly varied physiological triggers like a VO2 max versus a lactic acid tolerance type like a Tabata versus um, explosive strength might lead mm -hmm. to different recovery requirements. Sure. So basically, the way that we stress our bodies will determine how we need to recover. And so we need a different type of recovery if we did sort of like steady state endurance work, which sort of like can deplete glycogen, but doesn't necessarily uh, you know, create any skeletal uh, or muscular damage versus if we do something really, really intense and super short, we probably actually didn't deplete that much glycogen because it was short, but we put a lot of load on our musculoskeletal system. And so we're going to need uh, musculoskeletal recovery after them. Right. Which is just, it's more taxing on the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? And, which... and it's a different stimulus. So, right. you know, based on your experience, these different things, the sort of relative amount of taxation That's that you point. get yeah. from them can change. So somebody who like you know, is, is an endurance runner and does this all the time. Right. One of the things they're actually getting good at is recovering from endurance activity as well. well and there's so, an economy associated to that. Too. You know, yeah, you know, right. So it's like recognized. we get good at, yeah, we get right. efficient right. at handling the types of stress that we tend to give our bodies. Um, and that's why sort of cross-training is so encouraged, right? You like right. create these alternative stimuli and sort of stress your body in new ways and that can lead to growth um, from like, you know, supportive systems. Do you think it's safe to say if you are doing an activity that you haven't done before, mm -hmm. I mean, your body is, you're going to probably feel it, right? So if mm -hmm. I go out and play a basketball game, for example, and I haven't played basketball forever, mm -hmm. I'm probably going to be a little sore next, the next day. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you need to build in probably extra recovery. Would mm -hmm. you say that's fair kind of across the board? If you're doing it, if you're entering a new stimulus, uh, it would, you'll probably require a little bit more recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just kind of think and, and plan mm -hmm. for that and build it in. Yeah. I mean, unless it's something like, that's just another version of what you do. Like if you typically you know, road bike all the time. And then you take a spin class that's not actually different. Let's talk about rest days real quick, mm -hmm. because, I, you know, I think we're always focused on um, 
you know, how to think about napping in the context, you know, of mm-hmm. post recovery, or if we've got two, uh, like directly after uh, an an athletic event or a workout, or if we've got two sessions, you know, we, th- we think about napping. But what about on rest days? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's there's quite a bit of research too that in in Dr. Amy Bender, I think we cited her potentially yeah. in the last podcast. She's she's done just awesome work around this. But you know, she always recommends a two hour nap to support recovery. Um, especially for, you know, endurance athletes with greater training volumes, mm-hmm. but on, on rest days. And, and we definitely see in the data that on that's mm-hmm. where you can really maximize recovery, obviously, is, is thinking about your rest days in the context of your strain, mm-hmm. keeping it low um, so you can really, you know, get after it the following day. Mm-hmm. Just kind of talk through how that works on the WHOOP system and just generally. Sure. So, I mean, like, there's still only 24 hours in every day, right? Mm-hmm. So if a rest day means that you're not spending 90 minutes working out, then that becomes 90 minutes that you can put towards something really active of recovery. So um, like potentially taking a nap. The way sleep debt works is that, you know, it follows you around for a few days. And so if you're sort of reaching this rest day and you're not 100% sleep replete, taking that opportunity to not just merely not work out, but to sort of really take that that time that would otherwise be allocated to working out and put that towards sleep so that you leave your rest day completely caught up on sleep, you're now that much more ready to perform on your next on day. And so, yeah, so it's just kind of like, you know, since, since you can't add more time, you can't always do like a four hour nap and a four hour workout and have a full-time job and kids and a whole life. Right. So it's like, you can kind of use that opportunity of like your workout time uh, for extra sleep and you're going to get like that much more out of it. Yeah. And, and in terms of the whoop system, just keeping your strain low on those, on those days and using, you know, it builds in real time. So it's, it's, there's a great opportunity to actually kind of keep track of of your strain as the day goes goes on. Right. So you really want to kind of minimize the external load that you're putting on your body on a rest day so that it's a true rest day and not merely like I didn't go to the gym today, but I like use that opportunity to clean the garage and like do all these things. And uh, I was on my feet all day running around because then it's like, yeah, you didn't go to the gym. So you probably didn't create like a really positive adaptive training stimulus, but you still stressed your body out. You still have all these recovery needs. And right. so then you're not going to go into the next workout sort of looking like somebody who's recovered. And we actually see this a lot with our athletes, especially collegiate athletes, because mm-hmm. they're so busy yeah. and they sort of, they get a day off and like, that's time to go they're socialize with their and, friends. Yeah. yeah just like lugging like 30 pounds of you know clothes up and down right. the stairs and like all this stuff. And, you know, we get that you're busy and like, you want to take advantage of that time. But you know, what we found is that our athletes who really keep their strain low and we're talking like, you know, under six on a rest day, they just their recovery rebounds so much more and then they're able to perform at a much higher level and create that larger training stimulus when they're back to training days. It's just all about being available, you mm-hmm. know, and kind of setting your targets up so you can mm-hmm. you can repeat effort and with mm-hmm. with quality and efficiency. Yeah. Cuz the more recovered you are going into a workout, the more fitness gain that same workout is going to give you. So like the amount of fitness gain you get from a workout is only partially related to the intensity of the workout. It's also very highly related to your body's ability to action that training stimulus. Right. And so like if you're going to do all the work, you want to maximize the gains. So you might as well take that opportunity on your recovery day to like really set yourself up for that return on a workout investment. Yeah. yeah. I think too, like if you have a, it's maybe worth noting, like if you have a hard workout, you know, especially if maybe a hard weight session, I find if I, if I do a hard weight session, I don't sleep quite as well, mm-hmm. uh, which I know is a little counterproductive in the, in the sense that I want to be, you know, getting as much sleep as possible to to really capitalize on, on the workout. But I do notice my sleep is a little bit more fragmented um, mm-hmm. coming off of hard workouts. So again, I think that nap can really 
can really help and you know amplify recovery and yeah it can help make up for something like that uh and then also like um sort of give you that opportunity since you didn't have a hard workout on a rest day you're more likely to sleep well that night right right cool let's shift and just talk about so kind of those naps in the context of you know performance Mm -hmm. and um let's talk about naps uh in terms of cognitive functioning sure so naps can definitely reduce sleepiness and improve cognitive performance we kind of know this um the benefits of brief kind of five to 15 minute naps are almost immediate after the nap and last a limited period, one to three hours. Longer naps, on the other hand, like 30 minutes plus can produce, actually can produce impairment from sleep inertia, which I think Emily's just a fancy word for grogginess, right? Mm-hmm. For a short period after waking, but then produce improved cognitive performance for a longer period up to many hours. And we'll link to just some of the research around that. Emily, why don't you go through just a quick list on of how naps can kind of impact performance on the job? Sure. So in order to answer that question, you kind of have to understand the anatomy of a nap a little bit. Mm-hmm. So in our podcast last week, we talked about sort of different sleep stages and specifically like where in the night those tend to show up. So you know, we talked about how you get slow wave sleep early in the night mm-hmm. uh, and then you get REM sleep later in the night. And this actually applies to naps as well. Uh, And so typically, if you just nap for, say, like less than five minutes, you probably didn't get any slow wave sleep or any REM sleep. And there was actually a study um, done in 2005 published in the journal Sleep by this guy Tato Hori. And he showed that if you don't get three minutes of slow wave sleep, there's actually no cognitive benefit to the nap. Um, So it's probably just like, you know, there's some rest benefit and you're not accruing strain and it might be you know, just like a nice moment to recenter, but it didn't show any uh, benefit relative to like the control group. Interesting. But if they got at least three minutes of slow wave sleep, they showed cognitive performance uh, improvements after that. And so if you're kind of only have enough time to get asleep for a couple of minutes, you know, it actually might not be that effective to use that time for a nap. Um, you might if, be better off incorporating like ma- mindfulness or sure, meditation, you know, yeah. just like some passive breathing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's really helpful to just like, you know, take a quiet moment, yeah. put your feet up, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of regroup and all of that's going to have benefits. But, you know, you're not going to get sleep related benefits from that. Right. Although it will impact potentially if you build in those many moments of rest throughout the day, mm-hmm. we do see that impact onset and efficiency yeah the following day so it, sure. it does it can have that yeah. type of benefit yeah um so i thought that was really interesting that so that interesting. those are the, these like kind of ultra short naps that the goal is to get at least three minutes of slow sleep yep. now typically you're just talking about the distribution of sleep stages you're not going to get into REM sleep unless your nap is at least 90 minutes um and obviously that varies from person to person right but there's a really interesting study done by william fishbein in 2006 and published in the journal neurobiology of learning and memory and he showed that if you don't get any REM sleep in your nap uh that that nap but you do get slow wave sleep yeah uh that that nap will improve procedural memory tasks but won't improve um declarative memory tasks so that's the difference between like if i give you a little puzzle and you have to figure out how to do it that's procedural memory so it's like that muscle memory versus like if i ask you to know or you know repeat back 10 digits to me or something like that can you repeat that back so it's uh, procedural versus declarative memory if i ask you to like remember six words you know can you repeat those words back to me what this really teaches us which is i think such an interesting study is that one it's more complicated than just the duration of the nap it's sort of what you actually achieve in the nap yeah and it means that the utility of the nap and how like much better performance will be really depends on the form of performance that 
uh, happens to be important to you today. So if you only have 30 minutes, but you're trying to improve your declarative memory, you know, yeah. you're going to be, say, interviewed and you really want to be on your game to like remember all these facts or something like that. 30 minutes probably not going to help you. You're not going to get any REM sleep. Right. But if you're a tennis player and, you know, it's that muscle memory to put that little ball right in the, you know, <laughs> right in the corner of the box and you know, the perfect serve. 30 minutes can be great because you're going to get some slow wave sleep. You get a little, you know, that kind of recovery. And so uh, a tennis player is going to see a noticeable performance benefit from a 30 minute nap. And, um, you know, like a professor or someone being interviewed or anything like that is like not going to feel it as much. You kind of have to know what you're trying to get out of the nap. I guess in both cases, you might end up less sleepy. So that's that's a good thing. But so, yeah, so there's a big difference kind of minimum you definitely want to get three minutes of slow wave sleep if you kind of care about declarative memory you probably want to plan to get at least 90 and what we really tell people is you probably don't want to get too much more than like two to three hours at like the most because what starts to happen when you nap is that you're almost like gonna pay for it later when you go to sleep like you take too much sleep pressure off and then when you try and go to bed that night like back at normal time you're not tired enough. You kind of disturb your circadian rhythm by doing that. And you relieve too much homeostatic pressure for sleep. And so then you end up having like, you know, a little bit of insomnia or it's like harder to fall asleep. And then if you take an extra hour to fall asleep, then it's like you basically waste it. Like you kind of undoes the benefit of the nap. Um, And so now you you sort of wake up the next morning more or less in the same position that you would have been had you not napped. So um, you want to think about, especially if you're napping, you know, the closer to bedtime you're napping, the shorter that nap should be. So if you nap, we'll talk about that. Yeah. So it's like if you're, you know, you you can probably take a longer nap. Let's say for whatever reason you woke up at 4 a.m. to do something and then at like 4.30 you can go back to bed. Like, yeah, then you can sleep till 8 and you're probably not going to interfere with your sleep that night. But I wouldn't recommend taking like that three and a half hour nap in the afternoon. And just as a, a general rule of thumb, you know, most adults generally are not going to feel sleepy during the day if they're mm-hmm. meeting their sleep need at night, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a, a good rule of thumb. If you find yourself sleepy during the day, for the most part, I think that's a, a good indication that you're not actually getting the sleep that you need at night um, yeah, to fully restore. For sure. And so we're sort of talking about, I guess, naps being recommended in a case where for whatever reason you couldn't get the right, sleep you exactly. need last night. Um, and I also think there's a lot of utility for, you know, high level athletes who are working out twice a day. Definitely. Um, yeah. Because if you can hit slow wave sleep between those two workouts, you're going to produce human growth hormone and you're going to start the recovery process from that first workout before the second workout, like if right. you nap between them. And so then you're going into the second workout sort of more more recovered than you otherwise would. And so kind of more ready again, to like action the training stimulus of the second workout. So you'll probably get more out of it. Um, So those athletes might not necessarily feel sleepy, but kind of might strategically nap in order to get that growth hormone boost. Right. Um, But yeah, I agree. Like if you're just sort of living your normal life and find that like you need a nap in the middle of the afternoon, it's probably a good indicator that you're not sleeping well at night. All right. Let's talk about caffeine and naps. Mm -hmm. Um, This is kind of more a little bit more strategic but I think it falls there is some research around it so I wanted to bring it up kind of in the you know as we as we talk through some of the research so the nappuccino <laughs> practitioners seem to be a little mixed you know there's mixed opinions on this um some say that you must be highly sleep deprived mm-hmm. um for this to be effective I think we can kind of guess why they say that um because it, you know if you're not highly sleep deprived I guess you won't fall asleep as fast yeah. um you know to to by the time the caffeine actually kicks in um, so just what's your take? How, how should we actually think about this? Right. So for those of you who aren't familiar, the, the Nappuccino is this fun little trick where you basically kind of 
shoot an espresso shot, you know, some kind of strong caffeinated thing, and then immediately go to sleep. So the idea is that it takes about 20, 25 minutes for the caffeine that you ingest to get into your bloodstream and to start making you feel all wired uh, and energized. And so if you take a nap during that time, then the caffeine will naturally wake you up. Um, and so you, you get woken up by caffeine, which means you're not going to have that same like sleep inertia grogginess feeling. And so you kind of get your nap in and then you sort of have this supported wake up process that makes it easier to transition out of the nap. Um, like you said, it's sort of one of those things is maybe a little bit easier said than done. Like, I think there's also a, um, like a psychological effect to Mm -hmm. drinking coffee that makes us feel wired because we know that about the chemical stimulants gonna you know arrive soon you know i for one like most of the time can't just like fall asleep on a dime in the middle of the day Mm -hmm. you have to kind of one be able to kind of knock back the coffee super quickly you can't savor it over the course of 20 minutes because then it's starting to hit your bloodstream yeah (laughs) so you kind of have to like just shoot it back fall asleep and get asleep you know within a couple minutes so that you get some slow wave sleep by 20 minutes in when the caffeine starts to hit and will wake you up. So um, in theory, it's, you know, it's kind of sexy, yeah. but it's, so <laughs> it's typically we see that people who yeah. are able to fall asleep, you know, on demand like that uh, are either extremely sleep deprived or like narcoleptic, which we won't get into, <laughs> but yeah, it's not, um, it's not the easiest thing to pull off right. uh, correctly. Yeah. Yeah. But a cool trick if you can. All right, so we're going to go into talking about just some of the principles and then weave in uh, some of the tactics. So first, and we mentioned this just a tiny bit, but duration and timing, Mm -hmm. I want to go a little bit deeper. Um, So if you ever nap before, the research suggests, you know, napping midday between one and four. I'm like, just talk about this from the perspective of just circadian timing um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, why this is kind of an important place for folks to start. You know, just knowing kind of when, when to take a nap, you know, relative to their wake up time and if they're they're chronotype too. You know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, if they're going to, you know, if I generally feel sleepy around 1130 PM, then mm-hmm. I could probably get away, you know, closer to that 4 PM, you know, just yes. kind of talk through the. So you're going to hear a lot of, like, if you Google, you know, when is the best time to nap, it'll say things like don't nap after 2 PM. But that's kind of a silly recommendation because it matters much more sort of when you plan to go to bed. Right. Um, then like, like what is 2 PM, right? If you're a shift worker, that Right. That might not even be anything. Um, So, you know, you really want to think about like at least kind of, you know, six, eight hours before bedtime so that you don't interfere with uh, your sort of sleep pressure. So there's this homeostatic drive towards sort of sleep and wake. And if you reduce sleep need too much during the day and you don't have enough pressure towards sleep, at bedtime, it's going to be hard to fall asleep, even if your circadian rhythm is sort of saying that it's sleep time. You also don't want to nap too early in the day because you can shift your circadian rhythm by doing that. Your body almost kind of treats it like you're sort of delaying the sleep from the night before. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So if how, you... How close to wake up time would you... Do you think that that effect... So it's happen? interesting, right? Because like it, sometimes it's hard to tell like what's a nap first. It's like going back to bed, right? right? We know a lot with like parents of young children um, or people with new puppies might get up at 5 a.m. <laughs> to kind of tend to their little ones. Yeah. Uh, and then like at 5.30, they're going back to bed. So that's really going back to bed. Right. Um, that's not like being awake and then taking a nap. But if you're, if you're basically just like sort of, you know, you went to bed at 3 a.m. the night before and then you just sleep all the way through to, to like noon the next day or something like that, you're going to shift your circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. And then when it's 
bedtime, your circadian rhythm sort of not going to be in the right spot right. Um, to promote sleep. And so typically what we see is about two hours before when your circadian rhythm is anticipating bedtime, we start to produce melatonin. And so if you're napping like early in the morning, you can actually shift your circadian rhythm. If you nap kind of at the, the midpoint between the previous wake yep. and sleep, the circadian shift effect is much smaller because it's almost like right in the middle. So you're like equally pushing it forward and pulling it back. And so you don't shift your circadian rhythm as much, but you will mess with the homeostatic drive towards sleep that night if you nap for too long. Okay. Um, and so, so like that's basically why, six, seven hours after you wake, essentially. Yeah, like that yeah. midpoint. Yeah, so yeah. if you're sort of roughly awake for um, 16 to 18 right. hours, something like that, then yeah, it's something like eight hours after you wake up. So the night owls are going to do better with a later nap and mm -hmm. the larks are going to do better with an earlier nap. Right. So if your normal bedtime's 8 p.m., then like the 2 p.m. rule is going to be too late for you. If your normal bedtime is 2 a.m., then uh, it's too conservative for you. So um, you want to think about kind of what they mean when they're saying it's like almost like physiological 2 p.m., not right, like right. true 2 p.m. Yeah. No, that yeah. makes sense. So, yeah. So kind of naps are this funny thing because obviously being sleep deprived is bad for us for so many reasons. Right. And so it's like being not sleep deprived is better than being sleep deprived, you know, period, end of sentence. But then there's there are better ways to be not sleep deprived. Right. right? So it's like a little bit better to like try and sleep in a half hour later and try and go to bed a half hour earlier. Right. Um, and avoid the nap entirely. And, yeah, and to avoid yeah. the nap, but like that's not always practically feasible. Right. Uh, and so if you are going to nap, there are ways that are sort of going to interfere, to minimize the interference with um, sort of your, your next sleep. Because what you really, really don't want to do is to like have your nap harm your nighttime sleep such that it basically cancels it out. Right. Yeah. And we definitely see, you know, napping after four o'clock, just hard stop after four we see a decrease biological in sleep. four uh, yeah biological four right <laughs> um we definitely see a decrease in sleep quality yes. uh, across our athletes and it's up to like 15 percent yeah so you see sleep um, latency increase and right. then you see like the early part of the night you'll get right. lower slow wave sleep um right. yeah more wake periods like that so yeah so that means you know if you're typically spending like 45 percent of your total time in in kind of these deeper stages and you nap later in the afternoon um you know, you're going to spend basically like 30% of your total time in these deeper stages. So you're, mm -hmm. again, you're missing out on like 15%, which is just pretty massive. So sleeping is is a skill, as we know. Uh, we've talked about that a, a fair mm -hmm. amount. Um, napping is also a skill. Uh, you need to work to be good at it. So it really does take a fair amount of planning and preparation to kind of understand when to build it in, you know, based on all the stuff that, you know, Emma and I have just been talking about in terms of timing and duration and, and all that. So a, a great place to start is is certainly taking stock of how you feel. Um, but also another way to think about it in the context of whoop is looking at your sleep debt mm -hmm. to understand, you know, kind of the, the length of nap that might be appropriate, you know, and, and with the goal, of course, of managing sleep debt, you, you definitely don't want sleep debt to kind of accumulate, mm -hmm. right? Like that's, um, and that's where, you know, we see the athletes that we work with when, you know, athletes are accumulating huge amounts of sleep debt over the course of the season, for example, you know, invariably they end up getting sick, they get up, mm -hmm. you know, end up getting injured. So managing sleep debt can be a really proactive way for every single human being mm -hmm. to keep illness and injury burden in check. You know, if, if we may just talk about the app real quick, because I think some folks don't even know. So basically you just go into the app, you swipe left uh, and you get into the sleep performance page. Uh, you click on sleep needed. Uh, you will see this uh, little box that says sleep debt, uh, the bright green number um, with the accompanying arrow. It'll be red or green. Um, and this will basically just tell you how much sleep debt you have. Mm -hmm. And the gray, of course, is your baseline. 
So how we use this number, um, how, I, how I think about it, how, you know, the athletes on our system think about it uh, is, is basically you want to try to, you know, again, keep that sleep debt down by mapping a nap mm-hmm. um, with your sleep debt. So mm-hmm. if you have 40 minutes of, of sleep debt accumulated, a 30 na- minute nap makes sense. So with the goal over time, you don't want your sleep debt to accumulate you know, to get to a point where it's over 30 minutes. You know, that's kind of the standard across the mm-hmm. the collegiate and professional athletes that um, we work with. So it could be just, I think, a great way of, you know, for anyone who's on the system, a, a great way to use, you know, the app to kind of help direct uh, behavior. And I think just the the overall goal is just, you know, to, to be really proactive, understanding that, you know, when sleep debt creeps um, over time, it, it's invariably, you know, it's going to, it's going to bite you in the ass. Um, and, and we really, we don't want to get in a position where, you know, we've accumulated all this sleep debt. We've got three hours of sleep debt and now we're trying to binge sleep, you know? So yeah. if, if Emily, if you just want to talk real quick and, you know, this is getting outside of naps a little bit, sure. but uh, I think it's important for folks to understand what binge sleeping is and, and why that's not helpful. When we're sleep deprived, which means really when we have any amount of sleep debt, our body goes into some amount of like a low power mode. And it's sort of a lower power mode when we have more sleep debt and a sort of relatively less low power mode when our sleep debt's relatively small. But basically we sort of say like, well, I'm not, I don't have time every night to do all the restorative things I need to do. And so I'm going to prioritize the like most important things and some stuff won't get done. And so if you aren't constantly like sort of paying off that debt, that means you're constantly running in low power mode, which means like you're not you know, some of the things that go first are things like, you know, maintaining a healthy microbiome in your gut, you know, growing right. your hair and nails, turning over your skin. It's like stuff that can like wait a day. But yeah. it's like, you know, you're going to look more beautiful and feel better <laughs> if it's happening, you know, to the full extent every single day. And so if you let the sleep debt accumulate so much and then binge sleep, you will in fact end up at the end of that sleep replete. But you had like a whole week or month or whatever where you are running in low power mode. So it's not like you don't go back in that time and like do a month worth of nail growth. You know, you're going to have brittle nails. So you might like stop doing more damage, but the damage is done. You can almost think about it like your credit score, right? Like, you know, if you don't pay all these bills and stuff like that, and then you like a year later, go pay off all that stuff. Like, yeah, like you're you're not in debt anymore, but like your credit card score still sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it kind of works the same way, right? Except instead of this credit score that's going to prevent you from getting a mortgage, we're talking about like your immune system didn't do things. So you got more colds as a result. Like so catching up on sleep isn't going to undo the cold you had last week. We don't regulate our appetite as well. So like you probably overate and ate right. like poorer food. So it's like none of that gets undone. It's just you stop doing more damage. Right. And so... The reason why, and people do this a lot on like a shorter scale where they'll like be relatively sleep deprived Monday to Friday and then they like binge sleep on the weekend. And it's like, it's so much better to do that than to like not do the binge sleeping because you you do end up getting back to zero. But like, it'd be so much better to actually every single day, like pay the full bill, (laughs) Uh, you know, hit uh, that break even point of exactly your sleep need, um, you know, every single day so that you don't spend any time in low power mode because that's really... You know, the things that are going to go really quickly are things like, hey, you had this exercise stimulus. I'm going to build your muscles up even stronger mm-hmm. like that. That's going to go like right, <laughs> that's right. going to be one of the first things that goes right. Because it's like building the muscles even stronger is going to feel non-essential relative to like continue to like produce new blood and kidney function, all that kind of stuff, which like we try and maintain as long as possible. So and, and I think to forget, you know, for thinking about nap as a skill 
you know, the same way we kind of approach our nighttime sleep with mm-hmm. routines and, and all the things that we talked about previously, you kind of want to think about the same thing. Uh, it's those same things with, with a nap. You know, yeah. you're going to want to but you, know, you have want, a, yeah, on a to the extent much that you higher can. level, right? Because now right. you're fighting your circadian rhythm when you're trying to sleep at like a, a sort of odd a time. Non, right. Yeah. So it's like. That said, if you're feeling sleepy, you're mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot easier. Sure. You know, if you're kind of trying to force a nap, it's going to be more difficult to your point. But if you're already feeling sleepy and you want to capitalize mm-hmm. on that, you know, cold, dark, you know, you want to try to create a scenario where you can really maximize the time frame that you have to to take a nap yeah and I think also like sort of enlisting the people in your life to help you a little bit you know tell your kids leave me alone for 20 minutes or um you know let people know not to bother you so that you can actually use the time and and not get constantly disturbed at a time that maybe like your friends might expect you to be available you know turning off your phone yeah it's like you know your friends know better than to call you at 3 a.m right at 3 p.m you might feel totally fair game right um, and when you wake up in the morning, if you know, all right, I, I definitely need to build in a nap today, mm-hmm. probably don't have caffeine, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of take just, and, and we have just some internal research that, that we've done. We've seen, you know, when you, when you layer stimulants on a unrecovered system, like that's not good if you're trying to recover tomorrow, mm-hmm. you know, you, you kind of end up diverting resources to kind of deal with this, mm-hmm. with a stimulus, with, with a stimulant. So, um, you know, kind of lay off the caffeine. Uh, and then when you feel that natural pressure for, you know, where you, when you start to feel sleepy, mm-hmm. you know, just have a nap. You can yeah. kind of ease into it with some calming breaths, you know, those like little yeah. things that you can do to kind of help, um, help yourself get into that zone where, uh, you're kind of cueing your body. Okay. Time, mm-hmm. to, time to, yeah. Shut and if you have the opportunity um, you know, kind of bringing in elements of your normal nighttime routine, like even putting right. on pajamas for 20 yeah. minutes, like taking your work clothes off, yeah. getting really comfy, getting into bed. Dab a lavender oil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How nice. Yeah. Okay. So we talked a lot about naps. Hopefully there's some good nuggets in there that you guys can take away. Emily, thanks for digging in on all the science around, uh, you know, timing and duration and, and just a lot of the research that was out there. We'll make sure we link to those in the show notes. Yeah. And if anybody, you know, wants to let us know how you incorporate naps into your recovery process and, you know, anything else you'd like to talk about on the podcast, certainly reach out. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you're not already a WHOOP member, you can join our community for as low as $30 to begin. We provide you with 24-7 access to your biometric data, as well as analytics across strain, sleep, recovery, heart rate variability, and more. The membership comes with a free WHOOP strap 3.0. We offer 6, 12, and 18-month memberships. The more you sign up for, the more you save. If you enter the code WILLAHMED at checkout, that's W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D, will give you $30 off a membership just for listening to this podcast. For our European customers, the code is WILLAHMEDEU, and that will give you 30 euros off when you join. And for our current members, you can upgrade to the Whoopstrap 3.0 and get access to all the new Whoop Live features by following the link in your Whoop app. If you're out of contract, you'll literally get the 3.0 for free when you commit to another six months. Check out whoop.com slash thelocker for show notes and more, including links to relevant topics from this conversation and others. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Whoop podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can find me online at Will Ahmed. I try to respond to everyone who reaches out. Uh, And you can also follow at Whoop on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can email thelocker 
at whoop.com with any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions you may have. Thank you again to all our listeners, to all our Whoop members. We love you.